0: Welcome to the Plan C podcast. In a world where
1: everything is up for grabs, we need a Plan C. I'm Dave Lester. I'm Neil Gibb. and Today we're talking to Fung Ong, the founder and CEO of Matchable. So hi Fung, how are you going?
2: Hey guys, I'm good, thank you. How are you?
1: Yeah, pretty good, actually. Thank you very much. And um, where, where are you speaking from at the moment?
2: I am in my flat in London, in Vauxhall.
0: To the opposite side of the planet to myself, I'm on the Gold Coast in Australia. Where are you at the moment, Neil?
1: Well, I'm a sort of a roving reporter at the moment, Dave. I'm uh, I'm up in Bradford. I've come up here to help set up the Impact Hub, which has just been uh, finally established up here. But it's actually in the building where I, I first met Fung over a year, year ago, so it's a, it's very nicely circular. So I realize it was actually um, just over a year ago I met you, Fung, but I know um, a, re- a lot has happened to you since then, So, um, which is really why we've invited you today. So just gonna give a little bit of a preamble uh, to why we thought we'd talk to you. Um, so we're in this period of obviously massive social upheaval and uh, you know public consensus is changing very quickly and dramatically, we're seeing it all over our media and the news at the moment. Um, and there's a pressing demand for leaders and companies to be more accountable, to be more socially responsible, to not only react but to lead in areas that once was the domain, you know, of politicians or the social sector. Obviously, Plan A back in the day was the corporations and the social sector were seen as being very separate. Uh, plan B has seen the emergence of a new category of social enterprises and, and corporations now having social responsibility on the agenda, though. But you know, Plan C we 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 see is that the two becoming inextricably linked, which is Obviously, where Matchable comes in, you know. So uh, I'm interested if you could t- tell us a little bit about, you know, what Matchable is, and particularly what led you to set it up.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks. Uh, firstly, so much for having me on. I'm very honoured to be interviewed. Uh, yeah. So just to jump in briefly, um, Matchable is a company that specialises in matching companies and their staff with really unique and innovative projects at nonprofits, so charities and social enterprises, but also at impact startups. So the idea is that instead of, um, you know, go, going and planting trees or painting a fence for your away day, which is still great team building um, and volunteering, um, you might want to Pick up a matchable project and use your skills to um, help a uh, social enterprise that we were actually talking about it earlier. A social enterprise that uh, might be using blockchain to um, help farmers in Colombia um, become cocoa entrepreneurs instead of growing cocaine. Um, so, yeah, so that's the kind of project that we source. Um,
1: all right, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your you know, origin story? What led you particularly to decide to set up and become part of Matchable?
2: Um, yeah, uh, so, I, lo- I love how you phrased it because origin story makes me feel like an X-Man, but that's slightly not
1: <laughs> different. You are a superhero <laughs> of the stuff on the <laughs> Uh
2: Yeah, so, um, so I actually... Um, I'm Asian, so I'm Oriental, and I have very traditional Oriental parents. Um, so they always wanted me to grow up to be an accountant or a doctor or a lawyer, you know, definitely a profession. And so, um, for the most part, I was a good Asian kid, so I, um, I did my studies, I went to Cambridge and I read law with French law, and then I decided I did not want to be a lawyer, so I became an accountant instead, I was still, still keeping with the profession, and I joined PwC. Um, in 2005, and I did my uh, accounting exams, etc. And I really enjoyed it, um, for the most part, because uh, it's so structured that you always have these goals, you know, getting to the next level, um, on the next promotion. So you always feel like you're pushing yourself and growing personally and professionally. So that was a really great experience. Um and what happened was in 2016, I got promoted to director, which is the first leadership level at PwC, just below partner. And it um, kind of prompted a bit of a reassessment for me because once you kind of, you know, push yourself, obviously there's a lot of hard work that goes into becoming a partner there. But once you are a partner, that's kind of, you know, for the most part job for life. And, um, I was a tax consultant and I realized that maybe tax wasn't my my calling. Um, so, so I had always had side hustles. Um, and I, I had a blog originally called Suit and Pie, which was um, born out of the Cheryl Sandberg Lean-in movement. And it was all about finding inspiring women and men to interview. And what happened when I was writing that blog was I found that the people I found the most inspiring were usually um, founders who are starting on their own journey. And that led me to create a community called Suits and Startups, which was all about bringing together people in the city like me at the time and entrepreneurs and breaking down those kind of silos and networks that you um, might uh, sort of you know, not usually um, Uh, be able to kind of, you know, break out of in your day to day. And um, I realized through that, that I really liked startup world. So what happened when I had my um, kind of director epiphany (laughs) was that I took a sabbatical for three months and I thought I'd go and explore and see what else was out there. And I ended up going and hanging out with a lot of startups and offering them my skills But I realized quite quickly that I didn't want to be the accountant at a startup or the financial person. I wanted to try my hand at being a founder. But I also realized, being an accountant, that uh, the chances of me failing as a first-time founder were quite high. So I thought I'd try and minimize that risk by finding a founder role that came out of an incubator. So I spent a lot of time at incubators, hanging out, um, trying to see what jobs were available. So a lot of time at entrepreneurs, Entrepreneur First, Founders Factory. And that's actually how I came across the role at Matchable. And Matchable is actually a startup that was incubated by an incubator called The Good Lab. And The Good Lab was a three-year incubator project That was a collaboration between the innovation teams at some of the UK's and actually the world's largest charities like the the British Red Cross, um, the RSPCA, WaterAid, etc. Their innovation teams coming together with a group of innovation consultants called the Good Lab, uh, sorry, called Good Innovation. And um, they basically were brainstorming ideas for startups that the charities could invest in proving a model that they didn't need to necessarily just rely on donations to make money, but that they could also make money by investing in companies that were purpose-driven. And also, they wanted to create startups together that would solve some of their collective problems as charities. So, Matchable actually came out of an ideation session they had around volunteering And the charity said, you know, for the last 10, 20, 30 years, corporates um, and corporate teams have been coming and volunteering to paint our fences and plant trees and build bikes and all that kind of stuff. And it's great, but, um, you know, sometimes we have to get painters to come in and redo the painting they've done. And They said, you know, there must be a better way to do this because we know these individuals have incredible skills um, and we need those skills. So, why aren't we doing this matching thing much better? So, they had actually run a couple of test projects in summer of 2018 and they had put out an ad um, for a founder to find a founder for Matchable in January 2019 because they thought it was a viable business idea. And that's when I applied and I got the role.
1: Well, I've got what I call a, a plan C question here because you know what we're looking at is people who've done something differently. Now, you know, I think there'll be a lot of people around the world uh, uh, in a similar position that you know, you're sitting in a corporation, sitting in a large consultancy, you know, probably on a on a good salary, but you know, somehow frustrated, somehow having that kind of calling to do something more profound. And and you know, we've all been there. I've been there. But it's all very well having the thought, but making the leap. You know, particularly given when you talk about your background, you know this kind of drive that you had in terms of your culture about you know a certain way of performing. You know, so what was it that actually made you make that leap?
2: Um, Yeah, uh, I guess a couple of things. Um, To be perfectly on, like candid about the whole thing, I think I realized that what I was doing day to day was not for me because um, I started actually getting anxiety. And, um, you know, getting these panic attacks during work, which is something that had never happened to me before. Um, And I think, you know, it's it's just a result of obviously there's a combination of things around, you know, you always have these standards for yourself and you keep pushing yourself. Um, But also there's a misalignment there between um, maybe what you want to be doing um, and what you're actually doing. And I think that really manifested itself for me in this kind of physical way. And um, that was one of the things that prompted me. Um, and the other thing was also, I suppose, just having those um side hustles um, had actually really increased my um, you know, kind of, you know, when you have blinkers on. And um and you can actually very often when you're in a company, especially big companies, you can spend your whole life there and be perfectly happy because there's like 20,000 other people who, you know, think the same way you do and they're all your friends and they're all happy to help you. And that is great. Um, but what happened was when I had started doing all these um, things with startups, et cetera, I'd realized that there were actually people out there who might be a, a little bit more aligned with what I believed in. Um and, and that had really piqued my interest, I think. And that was what I wanted to explore as well.
0: That's really cool. I mean, it speaks definitely of what Matchable is all about as well. Um, as, you know, large organizations are very structured. It's very progressive as you go through things. Um, and, you know, we engage or large companies engage in those feel-good team building exercises, going and help charitables and, you know, really using our true skill sets, you know, what we do on a day-to-day basis that really could be very impactful, but instead it's rolling our sleeves up and like you said, painting a fence and those sorts of things. And it makes us feel good for that 24 hours. Um, And then we go back to work and back to the kind of grind. Matchable seems to be another avenue where those people in those large organizations can put their skills to a more purposeful, um, task as well and and still really be providing quite profound changes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Is that sort of where much actually also to Neil's point? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I um sorry, I think I might have talked over you there. But yeah, that's um definitely agree. I think there's something also to Neil's point where, you know, sometimes you are in, you know, doing your day-to-day routine, but you feel like you want to do more. And And I think, to be honest, if I had had an opportunity to work on a project like the kind of projects that we actually provide now at Matchable, um, alongside my day job, I think that would have actually sort of um, helped fulfill a little bit of that that needs that I was feeling to do something a little bit different, use my skills for good. Um, And I think, like you say, Dave, that's definitely. you know that I, I think that's definitely something we try to do at Match. Well, I mean, we we have two criteria. We always make sure that either the project or the organisation that we match someone with is innovative and or high impact. So the idea is that we would never, um, you know, there's loads of other platforms where you can find these kinds of projects, but we wouldn't probably ask like a lawyer to review um, a head lease for a charity that's moving office. Um, we would want them to, um, you know, go out and, uh, you know, help a, well, we actually had a project with UK Youth where um, they have all these different community centres and ended up, um, you know, becoming the the landlords of a whole bunch of community centres that they didn't necessarily want to be landlords for. Um, and we matched them with a, a law firm called Paul Hastings and they um, are basically help them helping them sort out their whole, you know, um, real estate portfolio, like that's a pretty cool project. Um, so, so yeah, that, that kind of thing.
1: <laughs> I, w- I wondered Yeah, you know, what I, I, love, uh, I love the sector, you know, the sort of tech for good sectors, it's called. And, uh, you know, I've, I've followed what you're doing and I know that you're a very you know authentic person and, um, yeah, you know, this matters deeply to you and you've obviously put a lot on the line, you know, in terms of what, you know, where your career could have gone otherwise, you know, um, you know, that said, I, 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 you know, there's a little bit of blowback now that, has, that a lot of corporations now are trying to look good, you know, like sort of social signaling, I think it's called. You know, so you do your thing, you don't care about much, you know, you just do your job. and that. But then you go, oh, we've got to have kind of a social a, a sort of social aspect to what we're doing. So, you know, is it possible that Matchable you know, might fall into that trap?
2: Um, I really hope not. I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, I think because of the nature of the kinds of projects that we source and the fact that we always do make sure that they have, that we, well, what we do is we always start with the need actually of the nonprofit or impact startup that we're helping. So we never create a project just for a volunteer. We always want it to actually be impactful. And so when we start from that need, it means that there will always be an impact. Um, and. So that's one of the things that we do to make sure that kind of, you know, like the sort of, I don't know, purpose washing or however you call it doesn't happen. Um, The other thing is that actually we've become quite selective in terms of the kinds of companies that we work with. And I know like, you know, being a startup, you always do want to, um, you know, you also need to survive as a company. So there is pressure to just pick up um, and do work and accommodate any company. But as things have progressed um, through COVID, etc., and we've actually really found our market um, and our sweet spot, which is really with companies that are um, have have people there who really care about this stuff, and um, and doing good is actually just part of their culture, part of their values, and it's something that they live day to day, not just talk about. Um, And one of our clients actually um, is a company called um, Capital on Tap. Um, And they are amazing. They provide small loans to to small companies. And um, I hope they won't mind me talking about it. It's an amazing story because they have like a um, social purpose, like kind of embedded in their core to the point where they had like a virtual Pride Month during lockdown and two people in their company came out, which I think is like to have a company where your culture is such that you feel so comfortable that you would come out during a virtual pride month is just incredible. And that's the kind of company, you know, we want to work with.
0: Within the volunteer companies, sorry, Neil, um, within the volunteer companies, uh, how much is it voluntary within those companies? to to do the the work or is it sort of uh do you know if some of it's becoming a bit of an expectation Um, that that the volunteer companies are um engage in these projects and then you know appoint people to them rather than the people within the organization volunteering to take on these roles uh
2: it's a good it's a bit of push and pull i suppose uh obviously you get the um, you get the people who are probably like in most companies obviously volunteering is not for everyone and you know some people are just there to you know do their job and go home and make money and go home and that's perfectly great you know um, we've seen that usually in a company you might get um, 20 25 percent probably of people naturally who um, are super engaged with this stuff. And they want to do projects and they want to do more than one and they want to keep doing them. Um, A lot of companies' ambitions nowadays is to get at least 50% of their staff volunteering and using those volunteering days. And so I guess, you know, for the other 25% um, that you're trying to top up to, there is a bit of kind of pull. Um, And then that's when, you know, you talk a bit more about actually one Of the angles for us is very much around upskilling and the skills you need for the future of work. In the future, I believe you know, a lot of companies are going to be B Corps. You know, everyone wants to have that um, social responsibility as part of what they do. You know, there's all these surveys around like millennials and Gen Z, um, you know, obviously like only buying from companies that are socially responsible, all that kind of stuff. And I think it's definitely moving in that direction. So, um, so that's when you need to engage these other um, kind of 25% of people in the future of work and say, actually, the skills you're going to develop if you go and help these, um, you know, this, um, you know, AR, AI um, social enterprise that is helping, um, you know, children with long term illness by creating virtual worlds where they can talk about grief. Like, you know, why don't you go and do that? Because that's the company that will, you know, be. profitable company in the future Um, and and that's how we'll prepare you for you know your career whether it's here in this company or in whichever company you go to because because the 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 skills you'll need in the future are all around creativity agility um, you know being able to adapt um to new environments because no one actually knows what the future of work will look like Um, I hope that made sense. <laughs> well,
1: and if I can just, uh, you know, it's, it's a nice segue when you're talking about, uh, you know, agility and adaption. Because um, obviously, you know, you started last year and um, you've, t- you've told us about that journey. And I imagine you had a plan, uh, what the, you know, 2019 and 2020 was going to look like. And, and it sounded like you're going very well. And of course... You know, you'd only just started when this extraordinary thing happened, You know, when suddenly COVID-19 emerged and we went into lockdown. I imagine that's had quite a profound effect on on your business. So can you tell us about you know, what you've had to do about that?
2: Oh, wow. Um, so much. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it's been a really interesting journey for us, actually, at Matchable. I mean, when um, COVID actually hit, we had actually been um, doing quite a bit of bespoke consulting, I would say, um, targeting LD teams. So all around this future of work angle um, at large corporations. And um, that had started to gain a bit of traction. So we would source these specific projects, say, if you wanted to upskill your e-commerce team, Um, we would find you uh, like a social enterprise that was like a marketplace for sustainably sourced products and you would, you know, second or, you know, put your person there for a few hours a week um, to upskill them in that kind of thing. And that had started to take off in March. What happened when COVID hit and lockdown hit was that we had a couple of weeks where people got really interested in what we were doing because suddenly community and volunteering and giving back was so important and people really did want to help the most vulnerable so you've seen it with the NHS and all the volunteers who um, signed up there Mm -hmm. so we had all our corporate clients come back and say oh hey we need volunteering opportunities Um, and we were like yeah we've got them (laughs) but then they'd say oh but we're really sorry we don't have a budget because suddenly our corporate budgets especially for things that were not you know just um, purely operational Um, or essential at the time, um, just uh, all those budgets got cut. So we actually then um, said, well, fine, there's no um, budget there for us, but we've seen that there's so many people who want to volunteer. And so why don't we pivot our model, um, previously B2B, um, to B2C? And we launched something called Matchable on Lockdown, which was a Matchable membership um, where individuals could sign up to um, basically get access to our database of projects, um, all innovative and high impact, um, and we would match them. But we also, you know, provide community and events, and we also, you know, provided personal trainers for like, you know, physical and mental um, well-being. And we, um, we, we were obviously charging a membership fee, and. We did that, um, kind of, we thought that up around kind of April time, ran that in May um, for about four to six weeks. Um, And it was great. I mean, we had like 50, 60 people sign up, which was amazing for us. Um, But we also got feedback, actually, at the time that, you know, I mean, and it's totally fair enough, like the market is just not ready to pay for volunteering right? As an individual, you're giving your time. And then if you don't know the ins and outs of what we do, you're like, why am I giving my time and also paying you money to give my time? Like, that makes no sense to me. (laughs) Um, And we're like, yeah, totally fair enough. Um, So so we ended up actually pivoting back to B2B. Um, So that was really interesting and quite a big strategic decision for us at the time. And we did that in June. Um, but what happened was the learnings we had taken from the B2C model, which had been all around, um, having a database available, the projects and people being really engaged. Actually, the people who got us really got us and they would pick up so many projects. They were so enthusiastic. We were matching people within like hours, which had never happened to us before when we were doing the big, um, kind of consulting type projects. We brought that into our new B2B model um and so it has kind of changed how we operate um as a company so we ended up doing kind of a membership database type offering for our companies um went out and tried to sell that as much as possible to companies in june um had our first um pilot with a company called stift who are incredible um they just got bought out by indeed and they um they piloted us in uh, July, have signed up. So they're our first conversion um, for the rest of the year. And since then, we've, um, we've actually now lined up 13 more companies that will onboard um, by the end of the year, um, which is amazing. Um, so so it's, it's been a lot of pivoting, and it wasn't easy at the time, but it's, um, it seems to be paying off, so fingers crossed. We've taken those learnings.
1: There's, there's something, you know, the reason we want to do this is talk to real people in real situations because there's an awful lot of people throwing theory around out there in the world of business, you know. And uh, and what you know, what I heard you did there is which is really interesting, right? You pivoted and and you learned something. And one of the things you learned from the pivot was that actually um it didn't work, but nope. <laughs> done that, but you learned something from it that you could take back into the business. So, you know, you so so that was a crucial stepping stone.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I don't think we would have um, kind of, you know, so I feel like we are beginning to get a lot more traction and we would not have that had we not done all of this during COVID. So in a way, it was painful, but I'm very grateful um, for where we ended up.
0: No, I mean, certainly something of being about adaptable, matchable, matchable, adaptable.
2: (laughs) I like that, might use it. uh, Yeah,
0: that's a T-shirt. Just because we are are kind of getting close to about having five minutes left to go. So from what would you say are the sort of real gems that, you know, you've learned and that you continue to learn um, with your journey of matchable and where do you see the future going?
2: Um, Yeah, I guess... uh... I guess it reflected back on COVID and the pivoting. There's something definitely about being open to new ideas and not being wedded to a plan. Um, I think previously, like when I was definitely when I was uh, an accountant, um, I was all about planning and I'd worry about things, um, you know, that you know whether they were going to happen. I mean, I have made about a hundred plans business plans and my team are probably <laughs> I have to apologize to my team every time we have a new plan um but you know it, the the kind of thing that we sell um how we build it um you know how fast we develop new offerings um that kind of thing is something you know that can change like e- you know every week every two weeks and and I think so being open to new ideas, but also being able to make a decision fast and pivot to test them. But also realizing that maybe those ideas are not, you know, they realizing when they're not right um, and listening to the market on that, those are definitely things that I think I've learned and, and my team have learned through COVID. Um Probably my biggest lesson from the last few months.
1: I think it's worth underlining something there. Certainly, an assertion we brought into this podcast was about the the purpose driven organization. Is that when you're very wedded to your purpose, you can then sort of let go of how you do it and and pivot around, but without taking your eye off the prize of what the purpose is. And I think what you said was that you you haven't changed your purpose, but you're not at all attached to how you fulfil on that purpose.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yes, definitely. Well put. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, we always, like I say, we always start with the needs of, of the um, impact organization that we're working with. And that's always what we're aiming, you know, to, to help make happen, um, help these guys just accomplish their own social missions. So um, that definitely hasn't changed.
1: Well, I've got a couple of questions here for, for uh, just to, for people having listened to this who are inspired by you know what you've what you've said. Uh, the first first one is, is is very simply about Matchable. If people want to get involved with Matchable, what do they do and where do they go?
2: Absolutely. Um, so our website is wearematchable.com. And all our emails are on there. (laughs) I'm not sure if that's a good or bad thing, but please always feel free to drop me an email, phoing at wearmatchable.com. I'm on LinkedIn as well, and I'm always happy to connect uh, to people. Um, But yeah, that's probably the best place to go.
1: And then then for those that are like, you know, sitting there in a similar situation to you going, God, I want to do something. You know, you talked about a lot of things you did, but obviously you had to find those, you had to find those resources. So, you know, if it, where, where might you point people for inspiration who were sitting going, damn, I really, you know, I've got that yearning to do something, to start something. What might be a good starting point in terms of a resource, a reading, a place to go?
2: Um, I guess that's a bit hard because it depends on your own motivations and what you're interested in and definitely what I did doing my three months sabbatical I'd say first of all definitely don't put pressure on yourself to find the thing. Um, I would never have known like I would end up doing this for sure if you'd asked me two years ago I'd be like yeah right um, definitely not. Uh, so don't put pressure on yourself to find that one thing. I think there are many things probably that would fulfill lots of different kind of interests and needs and purpose, you know, if you're trying to find that. The other thing I think that um, is always helpful to do is just to speak to as many people as possible because so many of the things that happened, even how I met you, Neil, and, you know, um, happen, you know, kind of by chance, um, but you always feel there's maybe some kind of ultimate goal. But being open to having conversations with people, you know, just asking, following one of the things that um, my friend says, actually, um, is uh, chasing tennis balls. So he said, Oh, if you're a dog, and you know, you have this instinct that you would, um, if someone threw a ball, you would just go after it. And he said, So what are the tennis balls that you would go after you know are you interested in um i don't know opening a coffee shop um or you know that kind of thing but actually chase the thing that really interests you and then just kind of don't put pressure on yourself to to find the thing um just kind of see where it takes you and i think that's probably the the best thing to do um my advice
0: I think that's that's awesome really good to hear that and it's it's just great to actually hear you know people that have taken that taken that chance they got very clear on on their kind of end goals and they're quite happy to then let life evolve around it and that's exactly what you've done You're you're living proof of it and it's just fascinating to
1: you know hear stories
0: like that so thank you very much
2: thank you so much for having me
1: Thank you, Fulham. Well, you'll always be the first Plan C podcast. And just to just to say, anyone who's interested in finding out more, the website is wearematchable.com.
0: And we make sure that it's in so the uh, podcast notes, of course.
2: <laughs> thank you.
0: Okay, thank you. So, uh, well, good night from
1: Australia. Good night from the north of England.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> good, good night afternoon. <laughs> Good afternoon for you, isn't it? Problem. <laughs>
1: I'm about to yeah. go to bed, and yeah, you. Well, I think we can finish there, and then I think list. we'll just. We'll just rec- I said we'll finish <laughs> there, and then we can record a little ending, Dave, just to put on it. So,
0: thanks for listening. Please leave us your comments, and remember to subscribe to the Plan C podcast with Neil Gibb and Dave Lester.